Good morning, church. It is good to be here as we continue to praise our great God. Why don't we uh, grab our Bibles and let's stand and let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 10. Starting a new chapter this week. Starting at verse 1. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, we come realizing that you are the supreme God of the universe, the only true God. We proclaim your excellencies the very beauties of Jesus Christ are ever before us in Your very Word. And Lord, as we look at a difficult passage today, we just pray that Your Holy Spirit would be leading us to be able to see what we as a church, we as individuals need to learn from this as we have Jesus teaching us. Even though this was 2,000 years ago, the Word is ever alive as much as it ever was then. And may it be able to speak to us today. Just remove me and let your voice speak through your word. In the very honor of your Son, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. And we have seen a real, very radical nature of the teaching of Jesus Christ. He is radical. He's not that little lamb that many people like to make him to be or the little bitty baby Jesus in a statue. Jesus is much more than that. And He is a lion while He is a lamb. And we are joining in on this as we have started from Mark 1 and now we have approached Mark 10. And we've gone all the way to the part where Jesus actually, along with the disciples, is heading down to Jerusalem. He has been doing the Galilean ministry and for the most part, that's where he's been for the three years. 
That's where he did most of his ministry. He has been to Jerusalem before, but uh, only to be there uh, a short term and then go back up to Galilee. Quite a ministry it was there. And he's teaching the disciples now on his last few months. There's not much time left at all. He has a lot to teach, and that's what we've been talking about every week. Here's another issue that he's going to bring forth to them that they need to know, that other people need to know, that we need to know. It's really about the way of the cross. The way of the cross is a tough thing. It's a hard thing. And the way of the cross is something that um, everybody needs to listen to. He who has ears, let him hear, right? And so we want to have our ears open, our eyes open to what Jesus teaches us. We know this is radical. We know that that's a popular word in our times, has been for the last couple of decades or so. But radical really defines it here because it's talking about a cost. And he's been talking about the cost uh, really for a couple of chapters here now. Uh, We see him often teaching and healing. And now he's getting down to the very nitty-gritty where he has said some things that are difficult, where he said he was going to have to suffer and die in Jerusalem. Of course, then he'd resurrect, but the disciples didn't hear that. They heard the suffer and die, and they didn't want to hear that. Now, that can't be true at all. And then he showed how it is to follow him, to truly trust in him no matter what the circumstance, no matter how, uh, and how, how hard it may be for us. Uh, last week, or the last couple of weeks, have been talking about. Um, last week was dealing with sin and hell, and uh, we know that uh, he had he had talked about that you have to deny yourself, take up the cross. That's dying, dying daily, um, following him. And then, as we looked at it last week, as I said, uh, when he talked about sin. He's saying to go to the extreme measure of whatever it is that is keeping you from Christ, then you cut it off. I don't care what it is. And of course, he used an extreme graphic illustration, and we all know that, where he said that you, uh, if you have trouble with sin, with certain sin, then cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. Can you imagine that? He's not saying that physically, we know that. But he is saying, do whatever it takes to get rid of that sin. Of course, it's all by grace. We can't get rid of sin on our own. We know that. And it's by the blood of Christ, as we sang uh, this morning. But we're talking about it's a cost. This is not to be taken lightly. And Jesus is real. He is radical. And to be a disciple, you're going to be radical. You're going to be a radical Christian. And Jesus made some demands and makes demands today of what it is to follow Him. And it's very hard to accept unless His call has been efficacious. I use that word. That means it's effective, right? His call to all of His own sheep are effective. He is the Great Shepherd. So He will continue to um, show us what it is to be a disciple. Now, we have another hard teaching that Jesus mounts on with all the other ones that we've been looking at. And this is an issue that uh, is something that has to be addressed today to society and even to the church. And I want to tell you, it would be a lot easier for me if we had a different text. And I, I have said that quite often lately. We run into some really hard ones. 
thing is, I don't have that choice. I don't have the option to go into a different text and say, I don't like this one. To be honest with you, I would love to have a straight gospel of grace text that's talking about the supremacy and majesty, the preeminence of Christ, the gospel. I love to preach and teach on that. And we've been doing that all the way through Mark. Uh, and actually, we have that today, but it's in a little bit different format. To be honest with you, the whole Bible is gospel, is it not? The whole Bible is gospel. It's all good news. And we know that we are prohibited to do anything else other than go to the next section because it's called expository preaching. And when you do that, you will have to go on to different parts and texts that you ordinarily wouldn't just pick out to use. And uh, you can almost say, well, what's the legitimacy of speaking about marriage and divorce and then it even has children in here today. And you're probably wondering how we got that in with this marriage and divorce. And hopefully I can show you at the end if we have enough time. <laughs> A lot of verses here. But uh, I do want to tell you that we uh, need the overruling guidance of the Holy Spirit with us because He knew long before we even chose this book that we'd be getting into this text and we would have to uh, deal with this. And He knows what's best for a congregation. And He knows, as far as our decisions are concerned, He still uses what uh, uh, His Word is. And uh, we must hear Jesus here today. And it is for all of us. All the young, all the way to the old. Me. No. (laughs) Where's the Gospel in this? I mean, we always preach gospel. How can you find a gospel in this, Genesis? Well, actually, Jesus came because of sin. This issue of divorce, it's sin. The gospel is for that, even. The gospel is because of sin, isn't it? Uh, Jesus came into the, this world because of particular issues. <laughs> sin. And He addresses sin and He never holds anything back. Jesus never did that, but I do want to tell you that He always offers hope, forgiveness, reconciliation. It is the good news. It is the Gospel. He doesn't leave us hanging in our sin. And that's the thing. We all sin. We all have had thoughts in our minds about things that we know that goes against what God's order is as far as marriage and family and divorce and, and such. He has the good news. Now some of, it, some of us out here are probably thinking, okay, why address such a thorny subject? It's kind of thorny, isn't it? Kind of touchy. There are a number of reasons why. And of course, one of them would be because of the Word of God. <laughs> and that obviously is a, a deal that we uh, have to go by. The Word of God is our authority. It's our only authority. Uh, secondly, uh, it would be that Jesus addressed this. And so here it is. And of course, what He says goes too. Of course, He is the Word of God. And thirdly, it is because of society. Society must be addressed with this issue. Um, if you went down the street and spoke about this to people most people would probably laugh you away. 
and they would say how old-fashioned you are if you went along with us. Have you ever noticed that almost everything that we have in the Word of God is the opposite side of the trend that's in society? (laughs) It is amazing, isn't it? And also, the church needs to be addressed, too, because the church has its difficulties, too. Uh, So we can't be lax on this issue. And fourthly, it's because of the impact that divorce has made on children. And so therefore, that's why we're kind of putting that text in along with this. So anyway, what we're, we're saying here is that uh, this is a considerable issue. The issue is about marriage, divorce, remarriage. What do we do with those things? Uh, matter of fact, in this text, in this particular text, in Mark, there is no exception when, whenever you have a marriage Jesus gives us no exceptions in it at all. And he said, Dennis, I know of some other texts that do. Well, we're not dealing with that right now. We're dealing with this text for some reason. Mark did not put that in there. And, uh, but we know that uh, it looks like here it's an outright prohibition of divorce. Of course, in Malachi, what does God say? God hates divorce, Right? And so Jesus makes that clear here. What do we do with this text? What do we do about people who have been divorced? And believe me, many are. And the whole body of Christ in our local congregation, we know that. It's been dealt with. We live in a society, we live in times that are very difficult. It's a hard challenge. What do we do with those issues? Well, let's open up our Bibles if you haven't had them opened up or if, you've, uh, if you need to put on your um, little um, e-Bibles, what have you your e-swords, and and, uh, we'll get right to the text. We'll get to the meaning of what Jesus is saying and uh, might be leaving you hanging and going, oh my, what what do we have here? Well, we'll see what goes on. We uh, pick it right up in verse 1, getting up. He's been teaching the disciples, probably he's been sitting down. He went from there to the region of Judea, and we're going to spend just a second or two on that. That's important. You can say, well, what? Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, he's been up in Galilee. That's north Israel, and most of his ministry has been there. And now he's going to Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem is at. And he'll do a little bit of ministry there before he goes to the cross. Death, burial, resurrection. So this is what's happening. Now, he, he comes to this, this area... Um, Judea. It's beyond the Jordan. It means it's on the other side. It's on the east side of the Jordan. It's called Transjordan, across the Jordan. Transjordan. So that's where he's at. It's also called Perea. So if you happen to be looking at maps, one of these days I'm going to get real graphic and, and start illustrating things, putting maps up there where you can say, oh, yeah, that's where it's at. You know, we have capability to do that. But I don't think about it until I'm standing up here at this moment. So, <laughs> if you guys ever have any ideas, let me know. Always need help. Okay. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And one thing uh, to remind us too, if he's in Perea or on that other side of Jordan, there was a leader there by the name of Herod Antipas. Remember him? That's the guy that killed who? John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist get killed? Why did he have his head be taken off? Because he made an approach to that particular leader, King Herod, and said he was in sin. He and his wife, or actually a sister-in-law, that he was 
married to and had been married and uh, divorced and remarried. And John the Baptist just addressed that issue. And we know John the Baptist. He doesn't hold back the truth and that got him beheaded. That's what happened. All for the truth. And of course, it's part of God's plan, I guess you could say, but that's a pretty uh, hefty thing. So he's murdered because he preached against Herod's adulterous marriage. Now, it says there are crowds. Well, he hasn't spent a lot of time in Perea before, and so he has a different group of people there. And maybe some people that have been following wherever he's been. And So uh, the crowds are big. They've always been big. And here we are again. They're surrounding him. And what is he doing when he has crowds? Put on a show. He teaches, preaches, heals, casts out demons. Doing the same thing he's done for three years. And everything is based upon his word that he is teaching. It shows his authority. And so, that's the setting. He's, he's teaching a great opportunity on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 2, some Pharisees, and we've seen this in Mark, haven't we? Came up to Jesus. Testing Him. Is that unusual? That's what they do. They're there testing Christ. To put Him to the test. Began to question Him whether it was a lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And what we're going to take a look at just a little bit is the fact of why they would be doing that. Now, they, they want to trip Him up. They're always asking Him some kind of question where He will commit Himself and then they'll make Him look like a fool and then maybe they can arrest Him for saying such things. And so, of course, he always comes up with the perfect answer. It's God's answer. It's perfect. Wouldn't you love to come up with the perfect answer every time? Well, um, maybe we don't, but if we use the Word of God, God can really bless that. And that's really where the answers are going to come through. He uses the right specific one. He uses the dagger again. He wins this argument. We already know that. What's the issue? Why do they come up with the deal about divorce? He's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing and they come up and say, hey, what do you believe about divorce and remarriage? (laughs) What? What are you bringing this up? This is a really current thing that comes up. It's not too much different than today, is it? Well, um, what they're doing is they're referring to Deuteronomy 24 which I would say we're going to refer to later, and we might, but why don't we just go ahead and refer to it right now so it won't confuse us up. Go back to the law. Deuteronomy, have you noticed that that is what Jesus uses? He uses the law whenever uh, He needs to give an answer. And, of course, Deuteronomy is in the five books of the law, the Pentateuch. And Deuteronomy 24 is about the law of divorce. And, yes, that was in the law made uh, with Moses. And we'll read just a few verses here. Verse 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, it's not really pleasing the man. She's not. Because he has found some indecency in her, 
And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Wow. That is the law. And that was put in the law. We see something about divorce in the law. Why does God even have this in the law? And and we know He permitted this, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. What you have here are two groups of Pharisees or religious leaders that are divided on this issue. One of them is the liberal group. And we know liberals, right? You have liberals and what do you have on the other side? Conservatives, right? They had it back then in those days. Politically. Religiously. So here we go. There was a guy by the name of Hillel. He was a rabbi. Rabbi named Hillel. And lived during those times. And his interpretation and the liberal interpretation is that you could divorce for any reason. Any reason. And you say, any reason? Well, surely not. Any reason. And and I'll give a few of those reasons in a moment. Uh, You see, this is what they're doing. They're taking the law. And what, what people do is they love to twist and interpret Scripture the way that it makes it comfortable for them. And then they will show, hey, that's what the Bible says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Now, what do lawyers do back in those days? I won't say anything about today, (laughs) but back in those days and today, okay. What do they do? Well, they reinterpret the law. Let's see if we can find some loopholes. What does this finding no favor in his eyes and some indecency? What's the finding no favor? One of them is the fact that if the wife does anything that the husband doesn't like, he can divorce her. And they're using the law of God for that. Uh, something like burning the food. How about burning matzah? <laughs> you know, there's, there are stripes on there, but this thing is all striped. That's, it's nothing but black matzah. Or she's walking around with her hair down. Oh, God forbid. I can't have that. Or maybe she's talking with some man on the street, some other man. He can get rid of her. Uh, perhaps speaking disrespectfully of the husband's parents in her husband's presence. Imagine that, ladies, right? A wrong word about anybody that they don't like. Matter of fact, there there was this rabbi, Akaba. He was from the school of Hillel. Seminaries. Right? Most of your seminaries in our country today, believe it or not, are actually liberal. And I hate to say that. It's a shame there are a few good ones. But if most of them are bad, what are they doing? Turning out liberal pastors who go to churches and bring in liberalism. The authority of the Word of God has been challenged and then all havoc breaks loose. That's been going on for a good hundred years or so. 
Anyway, he believed the phrase in Deuteronomy 24, find no favor in his eyes, meant that a man could divorce his wife if he found another woman more beautiful than her. Whoa. Does that happen today? <laughs> sure. People today can get a divorce anytime they want. Imagine that, finding another woman. Finding no favor. She doesn't look as good as somebody else I've seen, right? Well, that's Hillel. What about the conservative guys? They've got to be okay. Rabbi Shammai, that's his school, that's his seminary, and he was more strict in his interpretation. Uh, He believed it referred to some premarital sin when it says some indecency in her, some indecent sexual contact uh, contact or conduct, uh, not necessarily... Uh, adultery, because that's supposed to be taken care of. When there was adultery, they were to be taken out and stoned. Remember? Uh, the law of Moses was clear that adultery was to be punished by the stoning. So, uh, Romans are reading the book of Mark. Mark wrote to the Roman, the Gentile world. The Roman legal system in the days of Christ appears that in Jewish practice that death was the penalty, but the Romans would not really let them do that. Uh, but at the same time, the Romans were just as loose as uh, the Jews were, more loose in divorce and remarriage. Anyway, they're testing Jesus, aren't they? wanting to trap him to give a a reason to incriminate him. Or if you get him on another side, right? Or if you get him on your side, then the other side now is going to really be upset at him. And it's interesting that our Mark passage here says that in the Greek it actually means they kept on asking him. They kept on doing it. It's not like they asked him once and that was it. But it's a continual thing going on till they provoked him to say something. They, they, they want him to really come on with it and bring it out here. Now, the Pharisees are, are going to twist whatever he's going to say, aren't they? I mean, they're really good at that. So they're, they're taking a text in the Old Testament, misinterpreting it, misapplying it. They're not interested in godliness. The Pharisees were some of the ones that were divorcing and remarrying and then divorcing and remarrying and divorcing and remarrying. And how convenient if you take either of the views that they have, especially the liberal one. And so, you know, they're really not interested in in the marriage here, uh, really. Not even interested in divorce. It's really, can they get at Jesus? And, you know, in Proverbs... You want to turn there? There's some wise things in Proverbs, right? It's uh, some good things to learn from there constantly. Every day, if you would read a proverb a day, you would have the book of Proverbs read in a month. That's one chapter. Um, What does it say? 26, verse 4. It's kind of interesting here. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Or you'll also be like him. Now it's interesting. Then the next verse says, Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. There it says to not answer a fool and then to come back and then but according to his folly. 
Don't play into their hands. Don't cast the pearl before the swine. Jesus always has an answer. But His answer usually is going to be another question. His answer is going to be dealing with the passage in the Old Testament. It's going to be the Word of God. And so, is it lawful to divorce? What are people looking for? What are lawyers looking for? Loopholes. They can make any law, no matter how strict it may be and very specific, they can make a loophole out of it. The best lawyers, (laughs) I say best in quotes loosely, they're the ones who can reinterpret that and make the one who is guilty to get them set free. They're good at this. And so, these guys did that then and they do it now. You know, I must confess that I've been for this whole week looking for loopholes too. I've been trying to look for a way out of this. Maybe even a way out of this text. How is this going to transcend to people in the congregation? How are they going to take this? We have so many exciting passages about Christ and we have this. And it's so difficult. And I want to tell you, I want to be sensitive. Because I know that people have been hurt over this issue. There are many who are here. You're not alone if you, if you have been in that situation. And hang on to the very end because we're not here to condemn you far from that. We don't do that. Uh, we know that there's pain even even in it, you know. And maybe it's been years, you're past that. But still yet, I'm looking for a loophole. What's the loophole here? I look at Mark here and I, I, I don't see a loophole here. You know, if Jesus had begun with the loopholes, you know what, what we would have done? We would have taken that loophole and driven in uh, a 32-wheeler or whatever through that thing. Big old gap. Man, we can make the big old holes, right? You know what? We could jump to other areas, but we're in Mark. I don't have a lot of time. And you guys are very uh, liberal in giving me time. Sometimes, my goodness, we go over 10 or 15 minutes in our messages. Uh, nobody's laughing. <laughs> over, we'll stretch that out a little bit, right? Sometimes I go over an hour, not meaning to, and then when I realize and I look over here and I go, whoop, well, I just goofed up another minute there. We get to the answer. We're not going to jump to another area. We're just going to stay right with the text. And we'll look at some other text. But Jesus answers this. And He said to them, What did Moses command you? What does it say in the law? By the way, how did they look at Moses? I mean, this guy's huge. I mean, Moses is it. Outside of God, I mean, it's Moses, you know, the law, Moses, and the Pharisees, the law. I mean, they, I mean, they took care of the law. They were so good at the law. You remember, they wrote other laws to explain what those laws were about. Remember, I had six hundred thirteen of them. So they're good at this. They're really good. Jesus, do you know who you're handling here? Don't mess with these guys. They're sharp. He just says, well, "What did Moses say?" Well, of course, they know exactly what to reply back because they already know what the text is. They says they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. OK. 
okay, they reply back. And remember now, the, the two views, and you might have the Shemai people over here, and you might have the Hillel people over here, right? And they definitely do not recognize a woman initiating divorce. This is a man thing. It's only men that could initiate the divorce. And that's pretty convenient. What if she just gets quarrelsome? Just says a wrong thing. Well, some of them said, get rid of it. Uh, it comes from the male point of view. If you look at the Roman law, the law and the operation at the time when Mark wrote this gospel here, they did so allow. And possibly Mark is referring here to the Roman people who really didn't need any more outs or loopholes for divorce. So as he addresses the Romans, possibly that could be... We don't know. And I read a lot of commentaries this week. Man, I read one after another after another. Most of them were pretty well in agreement on things. And usually whenever they come up with this, they'd say, but we don't know for sure. (laughs) So I'm going to say that. But to the Romans, if he comes in there with any kind of thing like saying, except for adultery... Now, we know in Matthew 19, and we might turn there in a little bit, Matthew 19 allows the issue if somebody has committed adultery, then you have a way out of that marriage and can maybe remarry. Anyway, uh, Mark doesn't mention it though. He just says, this is the way it is. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. Then he quotes from Genesis. Now, that word dealing with permit, there's a difference between God permitting and then commanding. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. It's not mandated here that uh, you really ought to get divorced, especially if something really bad happens right here. You know, Uh, This... What really is to protect the wife that we were in Deuteronomy because she could be discarded like a piece of trash. That she would be useless. She could be thrown out into the streets, not have any place to live, be looked down upon by everybody and family. And so this was allowed to the woman to have a genuine divorce in order to be able to marry again. See, no man would want to marry a woman who had been cast out, who was destitute, who was defenseless, a social outcast, even treated like a harlot they would have been. This was allowed by God because He knows the sinfulness of man. He knows the hardness of heart. We all have hard hearts. Think the Lord Christ comes in and starts breaking it. Uh, isn't that a grace by Him? What a mercy it is for Him to come in and start blasting away at that hardness. And He softens our heart and the Gospel takes... And we just want to follow after Christ then. But in Deuteronomy 24, as they read that with their hard hearts, with their sinfulness they had, and they made it say what they wanted 
God is amazing that He would have even permitted divorce when He hates it. He never mandated it. It's not there of saying, well, you get a divorce if this happens. It's not that. Certificate here was for prevention, mainly to protect the lady. And now, this certificate was actually being used as permission. Permission. When you get permission, it's like, oh, yeah, we can do this, right? That's what they turned it into. It was never meant to be that way. And that's what Jesus is going to allude to here, really speak about. All they wanted was a piece of paper that said they can be with somebody else. That's what the issue is about. That's what they wanted. Jesus is not going there. He's not going in that direction where they're headed. Because when He comes back and quotes out of Genesis, we see the real matter. So the Lord is saying that Moses gave divorce. He allowed it because of the sinfulness or wickedness, hardness of the human heart. Because of your hardness, Moses gave this command. End this commandment. In other words, the law that you're using to justify your divorce, he's saying to the Pharisees, and remarriage, testifies not the desire of God's heart. This was never in His heart. This is not His desire. But it's to the hardness of your own. Now that's one major doctrine that we need to get all get out of this. We still battle sin, don't we? And even as we're Christians, we have been softened. The Holy Spirit does come in and convict, doesn't He? Aren't you glad He convicts? See, that means that your heart has been made soft. Because we're sensitive to sin. We hate the sin. We do a Romans 7. I'm doing the things that I don't want to do and not doing the things I should be doing. And Paul gets to the end of the chapter and what does he say? Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Woe is me, right? But then you go right into chapter 8. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank the Lord for Romans 8, right? Well, God tolerated this and regulated because of the hardness of the heart. And so there's the law. Now, Jesus goes back to Genesis. and This is rather amazing. This is just great. Why not go back to the Bible? Is that where we go? Anytime we have an issue, that's where we always are to go. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now there's his intention. That's what God had in mind. That is simple, isn't it? Everybody has heard this at weddings. That's got to be one of the favorite texts, right? In Genesis. You can think of, what? Uh, Ephesians 5. Think of other passages, but those are really, really good about what a marriage is really about. And it's all about God giving it. Man didn't come up with the idea of marriage. You know, one day a guy is just sitting around, oh, wouldn't it be cool if man and woman got together and they lived together and had kids, had a family? Wouldn't that be great? No man ever came up with that idea. God did. It's all His. He instituted this. This is one of the great institutions of all of mankind. 
whether it's to believers or even unbelievers. It's an amazing thing that God has given us. Marriage. It goes back to the basic principles. His divine ideals are clear. This is the way it's supposed to work. Only problem is, is that later on, Adam and Eve (laughs) bless their hearts. They sinned. And it affected everything. That's called total depravity, isn't it? affected everything. Man's thinking. Man's actions. It affected marriage. And so, let's just go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's just look at that. This is exactly what Jesus uses. He doesn't open up His uh, New American Standard Study Bible and starts quoting from there, but we see that In verse 27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female, and He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, then rule over it. And so, you know, we we know that all of His creation is going to be controlled by... uh, Really, Adam and Eve were to rule that. And there they are living in. What a great thing. And they're, they're made in the very image of God. And this is before the image was um, thwarted. And uh, then we know in chapter 2, I'll pick it up in... Um, Verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a situation that God had uh, created there. Uh, This is about the meaning of marriage designed by God in creation. It's God's action. It's God's design. It's perfect. We see out of that that marriage is heterosexual. I mean, isn't that an automatic thought? And we live in a society today, if you said that today with people around and just saying that marriage is heterosexual, I can guarantee you there's going to be somebody that's going, whoa, 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 you can't say that. You must be open. That makes room for any kind of marriages. Homosexual and lesbian and such. I'm telling you, if you take a group of people, not in this church here, even in some churches, and there are churches that are lesbian or homosexual churches in Jefferson City. Yes. In Jefferson City. Amazing. But he never said that. And it's so simple to us, and, and I usually read that and I go on. But now today i got to think, oh, man and woman, oh yeah. Don't ever back down from that. I don't care who's around. He said, no, God intended for it to be man and woman. This is what His Word says. If you want to take your own opinion, you can, but you're going up against the very nature of what God has made and intended it for that. Uh, Marriage is also monogamous as we look in that text in Mark or in our Genesis. It was to be monogamous. They were to be together as one in unity and uh, not any... Else, and so now we're seeing marriages today being more than two people, five people, ten people in a house. They're all married together. 
Whether it's done legally or not, it doesn't matter as far as they're concerned. They're all married together. And strange things are happening here in Sodom and Gomorrah in our world we live today. And this is nothing new. We hear about this every day and how appalling it is. Marriage is exclusive between man and a woman. We know the physiology even teaches that. It's monogamous. Matter of fact, what you know it, it matter of fact it even should disrupt the first family. <laughs> you know, everything's going fine, the kids are growing up, and then boom, all of a sudden one day it changes and here comes this guy into the house and and he asks the father and he says, Hey, I uh, want to take your daughter in marriage. I want to live with her at my house. You know, not your house, but she's going to be taken out of here and live with me. Yeah, that's really kind of what's that. It totally disrupts that first unity, doesn't it? Things are not the same as they were when the kids were growing up. And uh, so it, it, it is meant to do that. Leave father and mother and cleave to each other. Marriage is prominent also. He says as, as they get together, it's cleaving, sticking like glue. And I want to tell you, there's no back door. No getting out the back, Jack. <laughs> As, uh, was that Paul Simon? Write that song. There is not to be a way out. That's what God intended. And, and there to be as one. Marriage reflects the very union with God. What a picture of the church whenever you have people connected to Jesus Christ. That sounds familiar. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Most of these verses are not too unfamiliar, are they? They're very familiar. We're not even teaching anything new here today, are we? It sounds like old hat. But it's not old, is it? It must be reminded to us constantly. This is the way that God meant it to be. Verse 32, Ephesians 5, 32. But this mystery is great. After talking about the two should become one flesh. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. When you have a married couple, they are representing the body of Christ, the church, and Christ Himself. Nothing new with that. But it's amazing. What a connection. What a connection. We are united with Christ as individuals. That's just a little one that reminds us, doesn't it? Isn't that great? What a unity that God has brought us into. Marriage is something that God does, as we looked here in Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24. This is Jesus describing it. Going back to His Word, He's the one who wrote this Bible anyway. Even though Moses pins it down, it's actually the very Word of God. This is the Word of Christ. It gets its meaning from God. This all works just the way it's supposed to be when it goes by what God's Word says. Let no man separate. Whatever God joined together, even people who are unbelieving, even though it can be against God's will and what they're doing, yet He continues on to bless that and see that then as a marriage. Even though it was done wrong or in sin or not for the reasons to glorify God. Really, there's one reason for people to get married and then all the other ones fall from there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. The one reason that we really should get married with everything else falling underneath that is to what? Glorify God. 
What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when we take something that He has ordained and put together, even despite our sin and our battles, it's an amazing thing what God has come up with. And I think all of you can identify with that. It is something what God has done. And uh, the joining is by God and the separating is to actually be by God. That's by death. That's the only way that it was supposed to happen that way. What joins uh, together, that God has put together, is deep. Deeper than feelings. It's a deep communion with each other. It's uh, deeper than any promises and deeper than any friendships and go on and on. It's amazing how that kind of relationship happens. And we learned to take that relationship and also have our relationship with Christ deepen as we see Him. Then our marriage will, will deepen. So the image of Christ and the church it's an ocean of deep, 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 unseen wonders that we have right here on earth. And we look forward to glory where we will be totally wedded to Christ and no other. People, I think, sometime today treat treat it like a, a backyard swimming pool. Not very deep. Four feet, maybe. For lounging around. And it's okay as long as we feel like it. That's what a marriage is. It's not that deep, but it's just good for lounging around and just having a really good time and just going by whatever the feelings are. And then when the feelings go, then that goes too. So we want a deep ocean. That's what the marriage just should keep getting better. And we understand it more that, oh, God put this together so I can understand Him. He uses all of this for me to know Him. That's really the real reason. Now, what about remarriage after divorce? What about that? Let's say, oh, we're still looking for a loophole. Mark, Mark 10. Okay. We are at verse 10. Right? Okay. In the house. That's interesting. In the house. The God of Judea, somewhere along the line there were crowds. He had Pharisees. And now it's at the end of the day or something and Jesus and the disciples go wherever they're staying and somebody takes them in. And the disciples began questioning Him about this again. Now they're not at the headquarters anymore. They're not at Capernaum where uh, so often they hang out at. They go back and stay there for the night or whatever. Give them a question. What you were talking about to the, the Pharisees? What, what did you really mean by that? And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And that's the way that Mark puts it. And that's the way that he intended it. And that's the way the Holy Spirit intended it. God used Mark to do this. And he just says flat out, Listen, you're married. You're out of the marriage. You go to another marriage. You're committing adultery. Disciples have a hard time swallowing this, but let's do go over to to Matthew 19. Didn't Jesus know that this was going to hurt? Come on. 
people are really going to be taken back by you know look at all the damage here you know that that he could cause. But Jesus thinks the essence of love is helping people to live in sync with reality, namely God. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't, but it's always meant for a good. He always means things for good, for His people that love Him. If we will believe Him, if we will trust Him. Okay. Adultery? Are there exceptions? We're still looking for that. That's what they're asking about Jesus. As far as Mark is concerned, we're not talking about that. But how does Matthew... What does he do with it? Matthew 19. Verse 8 says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Sounds familiar, right? But from the beginning it has not been this way. Basically saying the same thing, right? And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and then he has this accept clause. Mark didn't put it there. But Matthew does. And we don't believe that the Bible contradicts itself. What do we do with this? Except for immorality. And marries another woman commits adultery. So he still says it's adultery, but he says, unless there's been immorality. Okay. Alright, we've got an exception here. Jesus as far as Mark is concerned and what he's bringing forth, and especially to the Romans, they don't need any more loopholes, focuses on the ideal, how it ought to be. Wouldn't it be great, first of all, if we just didn't have sin? I'm sure you guys think about that quite frequently. If we just didn't have sin, can you imagine how beautiful things would be? And there would never be a disagreement. There would never be any arguments. There would never be murders and all sorts of terrible relationships that happen on this earth if there wouldn't be sin. Well, that's what we're headed for. At one time, that's the way it was with two people. But that didn't last long. And so we have sin. In the ideal way, and the way that Jesus and God meant it, was the way that the Bible puts it here. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great adventure. Sin overrules so much of the time. We have to view everything from God's viewpoint. We start with that. What's His viewpoint? I think this is why this is the way that Mark puts it. We see Matthew there, and we do now see some kind of an exception. Don't have time. 1 Corinthians 7 is another text to go to. And there it starts dealing, it deals with widows, it deals with singles, and then it talks about the unmarried. And uh, if you remember a few years ago, we we, uh, went through 1 Corinthians and covered the ground there uh, who are the unmarried and I tend to think that's ones who have been married before and for some reason and also in 1 Corinthians 7 it talks about the ones who um, were married to unbelievers Uh, one becomes a Christian the other one is not he can't stand the one who's changed and believe me when you become a Christian people don't understand and all of a sudden you're not like what you used to be because you're glad you're not what you used to be because you want to be different and your life is changing. Your life has changed. 
And all of a sudden, that person doesn't like you anymore and they say, that's it, I'm out of here. And they're gone. You, couldn't, you can't do anything about it. Let them go, 1 Corinthians 7 says. So now we have some exceptions that are brought in. And I use this very loosely because it doesn't go with what we're talking about today. Loopholes. That's the first thing we want to do is look for those. But really when we look at the ultimate of what God intended, isn't that what we really want? You can say, yeah, but it's too late now. It's okay. It's okay. We, we move on. We move on. And we've got one last text, and I'm going to go through this a lot quicker than what I'd really like. I don't believe it's coincidence that we have verse 13 through 16. I can definitely say it's not coincidence that you have 13 through 16 after verse 12. <laughs> but also, it's not a coincidence to have children linked with marriage and divorce. There's a connection here. Starts in verse 13. They're bringing the children to him. They've done this before. And, and you know, the, they don't have humility. You know, the disciples, here's another lesson that they, you know, is to learn. But disciples are rebuking the parents bringing the children there. Hey, hey, get away from the master. You know, stop, you know I mean, they're doing their ushering and everything, ushering them on out of here. Jesus, he's, he's mad. I mean, he's indignant. He says, permit the children to come to me and don't hinder them. He's already talked about children. And there is a thing about children here, and that's what we're going to get into, but a lot of times the children are representing believers, the little believer. Not necessarily children believers, any believers. But they're hindering them. They're hindering these children here. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. They're so dependent Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. And he took them in his arms again, blessing them, laying his hands on them. Don't hinder them. These are children. They receive provision. They receive guidance. Kids depend totally upon their parents who are totally depending upon the Lord. So the, the kids are actually depending on the Lord. Sometimes they not, may not necessarily, but they just take it for granted everything's going to be there. We have heat. We have air conditioning. We have food. We have a place to sleep. We have clothes. We have wherever, man, whatever it is, we're taken care of. You know, They're totally dependent. And that is where the Lord wants us to be as little children. Absolutely dependent upon Him. Right? totally dependent upon Christ. And that's how we come to Him because we have nothing to offer. What would happen to kids if there aren't any parents? How can they survive? They don't have any money. They don't have any food. They don't have the necessities of life. Helplessness. He wants us to be helpless when we're brought to Him. He wants us to be needy. We are needy, but we don't recognize that that's a problem when we come to Christ. We need to realize that we are insufficient Right? So there's the spiritual sense dealing with the adults coming to the kingdom of God. So he invites the children to come. They're weak. Of course, we as believers, we come to him admitting our sin, our weakness, our need of a Savior. And so he encourages the parents to come there. And if you look at verse 9, chapter 10, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
verse 9 is one way to obey verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. The design of my kingdom is that marriage not be broken. Will you receive me as the king and take my care and take my protection for your life? Will you do that? Will you totally depend on me and obey me? If you will, two wonderful things happen for children. By your dependence, your humility, faith, you honor the very unique reason for being, namely, to show the way to heaven. Childlike. Childlike. Dependence on the grace of God. Depending totally on His grace because I don't have it. And what you'll do is, number two, is preserve and honor the very God-designed haven of marriage where we put this together. And it's a divine design. And He has the parents there for the children. There's a sanctity of marriage and there's the security of children. Because when you see this section with this, we see the spiritual meaning, but we also see the physical meaning and, and every meaning there for children. They're certainly connected, aren't they? Whatever our opinions of divorce and remarriage might be, it's going to be, how far can I go? Some people will say, can I, can I get married again? The question would be, how like Christ can I be? Does this highlight a moral, a spiritual duplicity here in our Christian lives? Listen, uh, Divorce in our age, our nation, can be even put upon somebody against their will. They don't want to get divorced. That's the last thing they want to do. Or the things that are in that marriage that have just made things totally impossible. And I think that there, and according to Scripture and other passages, that everyone can't be held accountable for the break of their marriage through divorce. Most can. But there are some that can't even help it and have gone on to you know to be remarried and God has blessed that. Um, it's the grace of God that covers our sin. I cannot be self-righteous up here and say, hey, listen, um, I feel for you, but hey, I've done a little better than you. You know, I've still got my marriage together and you don't. I can't say anything like that. It's only by the grace of God. Because if it be for me, and I'm not just sticking it on me, or anybody else for that matter, it's only by the grace of God that He keeps us in any kind of relationship. Because if it was left up to ourselves, we couldn't relate to anyone because of what sin does. Because we're very selfish in our own flesh, aren't we? And so we must never judge others in a self-righteous way. We are all adulterers in our hearts. If you even think upon a woman and lust it in your heart, you've committed adultery. Wow. And you know what? The call is an amazing thing. And He calls the unclean clean and we're taking it back to every one of us because we were all unclean 
And He's been revealing to everyone the cross. Told the disciples that they're going to die on the cross. But at the same time, take up the cross. The cross is a dying daily thing. The cost of the kingdom, the cost of discipleship, man, it is everything. And what the Lord is doing here in our Mark 10 passage is showing the great cost even in the area of our closest human relationships and what it is the way that it is to be set up as ideal. And if it wasn't before, it can now. I'm thankful for the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. Awesome indeed. And as You put Your passages together, they are very demanding and we must take them seriously. But when we do trip, fall, stumble, to your own, you pick back up. You put the pieces together. May we always have this desire to follow you in the extreme way and recognizing the cost of discipleship. We praise you. Thank you for your son's name because he makes everything right. As we prepare our hearts for communion, this actually we're going to make this song our message for the communion to be thinking about it. And it all comes right out of Scripture.
Father, you are so holy. Thank you for so much for letting us be a part of your holy kingdom. We know it's all by your mercy, your grace, your very love. It's all you that has done that. We know the hardness of heart would never have allowed us to come to you on our own had you not come to us. We love you because you first loved us. And now we rejoice. And our joy is in Christ. Our joy is true. And uh, these elements representing the joy of the union that we have. And may we not ever take it for granted. This is to remind us. We take this in remembrance. And it celebrates who you are. And the death is proclaimed and the unity because of that death. And we see our sin was put up there on the cross and it was all paid for. And because of that, may we desire to keep on repenting and confessing our sin so that we'd resemble the Son even more and more in this life and knowing one day that we will see Him as He is and be like Him said, take this bread, take this cup, for it shows who you are and what you've done. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. redemption. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. You know what? That is true joy. True joy. Worshiping God. Worshiping with His people. Being like-minded. And as uh, the quote says, trying to find joy apart from Christ is like trying to find a day without the sun. And if you have Christ, you have joy. And realize that joy that's been made that He's, he's said. Praise the Lord. Dismiss. Oh, by the way, we have we have guests here today. Lori, would you like to introduce our very special guest here? I'm sorry. This is my mother, Sue. I'd like to meet you all. Sue. We have another Sue here. Two Sue's. Very good. Glad to have you. We are very honored to have you. And then back in the very back, or back row Baptist, I think. Back row Presbyterians? Is there such a thing? You'd never guess who they are. Most of you probably know, but that uh, starts with my... Uh, actually, it's, it's my family. Uh, Justin is my son. And, of course, Amy, Jackson, and Josh. We're really glad to have you guys here today with us. Made this day special. And, of course, I was just uh, jokingly saying uh, earlier that, yeah, it's kind of funny... They come 
Zach is not here. So what's I'm telling you? Brotherly love. We we miss Zach today. He is in Texas, and of course he still put all this together. And Julia ran this, and I thought she did an exceptionally very good job. Thank you, Julia, for doing that, and uh, that's very very helpful. Um, at any rate, um, I think that's about all I have. And just have a good day in the Lord. Enjoy, rejoice. Amen.
Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I like the white wall. <laughs> 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 
I know. So the man's still dinner is probably the best thing, actually. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
All right. Well, well I'm going to draw my phone. Yeah. Ooh, you got two of them. Double yeah. draw, man. What's, what's the deal? It's kind of like... Well, one's my personal, and this is... Oh, work, work one. So, you know, she does end up working for a control. Yeah, you can come anytime. I'll still have this, but... That's almost kind of like mine. This here? Nobody has these. These are dinosaurs. I kind of miss mine. No. This is a...